Good Monday, everybody. Welcome into Mining Stock Daily. Uh, we're going to get a little bit of a general market synopsis here. Welcoming back uh, Mark Thompson. You may uh, remember of him from our very tin special just uh, a few months ago. We're going to talk a little bit about tin, but really have this general conversation about the surging base metal complex obviously it's really we've talked a lot about copper in the last couple days the last couple weeks uh copper is kind of consolidating here as we talk but it did go up and go just north of four dollars 80 cents uh overnight actually on the futures market uh, because it, it's pretty interesting we got a couple of reports here but uh, uh mark's joining us from dubai so you know after a busy day uh he's still uh, he's still working away so mark uh, welcome back to the podcast Hey Trevor, thank you for having me back again. Yeah, it's uh, you know, you've been a kind of a prolific, uh, uh, great mind in this. You saw it coming uh, years ago. Uh, you know, given where we're at in this in in this market, we'll, we'll just stick with copper. Let's stick with copper. Uh, we have global demand. Uh, we have supply that continues to dwindle. Uh, you know, none of this is at all surprising to you. Uh, but maybe has the speed of this surprised you at all? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. I think um, you know the market's playing catch up to where the fundamentals have been. I think you know I'm far from being the only person in the copper market who's seen this coming. Um, and uh, you know, in, in the long run, the fundamentals always win. Um, we were probably too low for too long, and because we were too low for too long, we'll probably go a bit too high for a short period of time. Um, but I think, you know, overall, one of the one of the words I'm using to, co- to dis- describe this cycle is super volatility. You know, we are going to see extremes of volatility in commodity pricing and in other asset classes as well. that I don't think we've seen for decades. And we've got, a, you know, a generation of traders and hedge fund managers and investors out there who haven't seen daily three, four, five, 10 percent moves and don't know how, how to react to those things. And we're beginning to move into this situation of extremely low stocks, creating you know large amounts of panics. Um, we're seeing large asset allocations becoming to, into the sector, and there just isn't the liquidity to absorb the news flow uh, and the ins and outs of the market. So extreme volatility, I think, is something that we should all look forward to, which creates opportunities if you can stick to a hard view. So just sorry, I'm rattling on a bit here, but I'll give you a great example of that because we've seen it in the last four weeks. If you had the balls to sit there and say, I think copper's going to 20,000 and I'm going to buy every $1,500 dip and you get an Evergrande come along and then suddenly the market gets very jittery, we dropped from 10.5 to, you know, 8.8. It was a great buying opportunity. And that's the sort of volatility we're going to see. You know, we've gone from, you know, 10.7 at the high to 8.8, back up to 10.4 today, you know, in the course of a couple of months. Yeah, these are really, really big moves over the course of just a few months. And of course, it's a fraction of what we've seen in the aluminium and zinc market. I mean, zinc had a 14% daily range on uh, on Thursday. I mean, just off the charts in terms of, you know, you see that in stocks, you don't see that in commodity prices. So, you know, that's the sort of world we're moving into. I'm glad you mentioned the volunt- volatility because obviously we've seen a lot of volatility to the upside. I mean, big daily gains in this metals. Uh, but do you think that volatility to the downside, we could... We could see if, you know, if zinc goes up 14% one day, could it go down 14% in one day? And you maintain that that's still, you know, anecdotally, that's still a kind of a buy the dip mentality here in the metals complex. Listen, these markets are not going to go up in a straight line. I mean, as much as they have been going up a straight line for a year, 
you know, we're going to get multiple phases for this over many, many years, maybe a decade or more. You know, copper will go too high, zinc will go too high, it can drop 20, 30%. And historically, your biggest moves on commodities are almost always to the downside. They're quickest and with the least liquidity. So if you can see 15% in an up day, you can see 30% in a down day without even it, you know, without it particularly interrupting the overall fundamental thesis. Lack of liquidity is going to drive prices. And when we're in a world now also where there's more um, uh, algorithm-driven trading than we've ever seen. And when these algorithms all want to get out at the same time, and there's so few market participants sat there who will be market makers or adding liquidity because they have to, um, you know, we could see the sort of flash crashes that we've seen in equity markets, you know, maybe more, you know, more like sort of five or 10 years ago, we're going to see them. And we saw one in tin a few weeks ago. Tin went from 30, uh, I think 35,000 to 31,000 in nine seconds. You know, it just took a few algorithms to be sell, took out all the buying and suddenly there was no bid. And then it went back up $2,000 in 10 seconds. So, you know, these are not necessarily for big volume, but that's, that's the kind of thing that can happen. So people have got to be wary, small positions, uh, and I think you've got to run big stop loss levels on these things as well. You don't want to be buying a metal for a 5% stop loss. You've got to be uh, maybe a smaller position and prepared to sit and hold for a bit uh, through some of the volatility. Uh, and you did mention China, Mark. I, re I remember you know months ago when you and I first connected here, I asked you about this proposed super cycle. Well, I think we understand where we – you know, there's still a good argument that we are in the early innings of a commodity super cycle. But I remember the question I asked you was, do you need the likes of a China to really be the backbone of this? And I say that because, you know, in the you know, about a month ago, I had concerns about metal commodities with China. It seemed like China's growth was slowing. The Evergrande came out. There was concern, but it, that proved my concern wrong. But going back to that question about China leading the way, for a commodity super cycle, uh, maybe has your answer changed at all? Do you do you need a China, or is this proven that you do not need a China? Well, I mean, I think I probably said what I normally say, which is yes, China is important, but it's as much about the next two billion people now, the, the emerging middle classes across the rest of the world. You know, three hundred million people in in in, in Indonesia, two hundred million in Pakistan, two hundred million in Nigeria. These guys have all got a, a, an internet-enabled phone now. And they've all seen how the West lives and they're demanding that of their governments. So, you know, these countries are growing at, you know, nearly double digit pace. So do you need China growing at 10 percent? Absolutely not, because the Chinese economy is three and a half times the size it was on the last cycle. So in terms of incremental demand, if it's growing at four or five percent, it's still annually consuming an incrementally larger amount of copper than it did between 2002 and 2007. And of course, in a market when there's very few projects coming on stream and you've got the on top of everything that's going on, then you've got the clean energy revolution, which is just going to add an extra two, three, four percent consumption growth on copper. And that's consumption growth that can't happen because there's not enough supply and we're basically inventories of zero. So we're in one of those wonderful situations which happen every couple of generations only in, in commodities where supply exactly equals demand because there's no inventory. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about inventory. Goldman Sachs, I've, I've quoted this uh, research report a couple of times here in the last week. Uh, but Goldman uh, Goldman Sachs came out with a report there expecting significant metal deficit for projected for Q4 of this year and potentially being depleted entirely by Q2 of next year. And well, this well, is quite astounding. Well, it's well, nice that Goldman Sachs have caught up where the rest of us have been for the last 
nine months, basically saying, you know, what are we going to do when stocks go to zero? I think I was first saying that back in May. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, it, what's that great? it's great for producers. It's great for the old economy type stocks. You know, when there's going to be some severely large fortunes made from people who own metal in the ground in the coming year or two. Um, but yeah, I think inventories are going to zero, severe backwardations. You're going to see substitution, but it's very difficult to substitute for things when you've got things like your, your classic substitution for copper is aluminium. But with the power curtailment going on and aluminium being basically the most power hungry industry in the world, um, you know, you could see alley prices do something where actually it's not economic to, to, to substitute copper for aluminium. So, you know, the world's running out of stuff. And, you know, just going back and bringing that into your theme about inventories and Goldman Sachs and, and China, you know, China is still thinking 50 years, you know. Yes, they're going through a property hiccup. And yes, the valuations of Chinese domestic property are incredibly stretched at 20, 25 times earnings. The Chinese Communist Party will manage that. The, the, the stuff that's under construction will get finished. And then on top of that, they've announced, you know, four trillion, uh, four terawatt hours of uh, new um, renewable energy to be installed. I mean, that's just copper, 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 copper. So, mm. you know, I don't see the Chinese not buying the copper that they have been buying, not consuming it uh, anytime soon. And, and, and to the extent that if they were slowing down, they'd still build stockpiles because they know there isn't any copper coming of sufficient for the world to meet this green, green energy transition. Uh, Mark, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've got a report here that I was able to get my hands on from Market Intelligence talking about new copper projects coming online. Now, we talked about the short to midterm volatility in these metal markets, but let's take a longer term approach, say, the next 10 years. Uh, and this is looking at the potential of of new supply coming on lines to meet further demand. Uh, they said, despite their expectations of an e of easing in the copper concentrate market balance through 2025, they forecast that the refined copper market will move into a 279,000 ton deficit by 2025. Well, they're just making up. I mean, it's, it's so lit. It's so low below what it will actually be. I mean, it's a 25 million ton market. They're talking about a 1% deficit. I think they're just basically proving they haven't got a clue what's going on if they think it's going to be as small as that. You think it's larger? Much better. Well, I think much it's larger. the demand will be at a certain price level. You know, because remember, if you've got a zero inventory, by definition, you can't have a deficit. You know, you get rationing by price. Um, you know, but I think if you say, what I would say is if the price was still at 8,000, 10,000, the deficit would be more like four or five percent rather than one percent. Interesting. Well, the, this report was kind of on the back of potential new projects coming online and feeding that supply. Now, uh, you are on the board with Meridian Mining. Obviously, have a really cool uh, copper gold project in Brazil that's done really well. Great news. We uh, hopefully will be reaching out. Um, to Gilbert Clark here this week, I'm hoping sometime. Uh, but talk about that, you know, these projects potentially coming online. Do we, does society and governments have the backbone to really go ahead with putting some of these new projects online, getting them permitted and meeting the demand? Well, look, politicians are paying catch up. You know, you still can't get Pebble permitted in the US. You know, you still can't get other copper mines permitted in the US. It's, uh, you know, they just don't get what's going on and how long it takes to build a, build a copper mine and how much capital it requires these days. It's never been harder. Uh, and it's not just about, you know, and, you know, your big headwind is no one's been looking. There's been little, you know, virtually, you know, so below trend required expiration fines because the, mon the money hasn't been there. 
for exploration companies because that frothy part of people's portfolio, it's all gone into tech and Bitcoin in the last 10 or 15 years. So people haven't been, you know, normally people had two choices if they wanted to have a 5% of their portfolio in something interesting. It was either metals exploration or it was biotech. And they've been doing neither. They've been doing tech and, and, and crypto. So there's not a raft of juniors out there who've got some interesting drill holes and a potential discovery to fast track and, you know, raise $100 million and drill it out properly and bring it to market. There isn't a list of these guys because they haven't basically done the basic fundamentals. And to the extent that if you do find one, um, the, cap the commodity in shortest supply in the world right now is human capital. You know, the number of people graduating with geology, mining, engineer, metallurgy, mineralogy experience is a half, a third of what it was 25 years ago from Western universities. So it's never been harder to build a mine. It's never been harder to finance a mine. It's never been harder to permit a mine. And there's never been a greater need for mines to come on stream at one time. So I just don't see new supply surprising us on the upside. I continue to expect to see it surprise us on the downside as projects are built by people who aren't qualified because they can't get enough good people to do the feasibility work and actually build these projects. Uh, you, you talked about the workforce. Well, that kind of cuts into your all-in sustaining costs to produce copper. Uh, I've seen reports that in actually 2020, all-in sustaining costs to produce copper actually dropped. Uh, but that's likely going to increase when all said is done after we kind of conclude this year uh, because of energy costs, labor costs, all those things. But do you, do you believe that despite a rising all-in sustaining costs, margins for copper producers will remain just incredibly strong? Oh, well, you've you got to look at why they, they dropped. So, but, you know, you go back a couple of years, we were down at four and a half, five thousand dollars on copper. OK, so you, you can get scenarios of people high grade to deal with low, low, um, low pricing um, environments. So because you're mining higher grades, you're all in sustainable costs, sustaining costs go down. So you've got to really look at it. You know, it's not an industry trend. You know, typically speaking, 25 to 33 percent of your cost in a mine is power. I mean, there's a massive amount of inflationary cost there be, be, being driven from power. Wages, um, taxes, you know, additional royalties and, and windfall taxes are coming. We've seen it in Peru and Chile, Zambia, it's the new norm. So, you know, it's, it's, you, know you sit and wait for this opportunity and then governments come and steal, steal the profits off you. So it, none of that's encouraging people to build new mines. Uh, Mark, uh, you know, let's uh, wrap things up. I told you I'd promise to keep you around 15 minutes. I know it's late there in Dubai, so uh, you got more work to do, I'm sure. But, you know, uh, kind of looking at the moves in these markets here and moving and looking forward, you mentioned watching the volatility, seeing the opportunities during volatile moments. Uh, but what are some things maybe on the macro side of this that you're really watching to see where the next move is going to come from? Mm. Um. I think right now it's driven by inventory levels and fear. Okay, so you know I would be moving towards a little bit of risk off right now because I think you're being driven by things that aren't predictable and looking to catch the knife the next time we get a major pullback. Um, but that's just my tr that's just my trading style. I, you know I would have made so much money in the last six months it's unreal. I'd have been happy to uh, to be taking some profits whilst uh, you get some Johnny Cun late lately people coming into the markets. I think the spreads and the forwards are the key thing though. They're telling you where the price is going. So the bigger the backwardation we get, the bigger the market is bidding to consumers to defer consumption. And I think that's telling you just how short the supply is. You know, copper's gone from a few few dollars back a month to $30, $35 back a month. You know, and you've got backwardations across the board now, across all base metals. 
So that that's always a, always a key determinant in telling you, you know, the sentiment in the physical market as opposed to, um, you know, just the derivative derivative market. And as I said, I think the other thing I mentioned earlier is just, you know, I think, you know, you're probably going to see a decent rally from here into year end. I think we're going to see fresh all time highs across the board, even though we're basically there at the moment. And I think you'll see big asset allocation in January, which I think will drive prices up. And then we might see a bit of a pullback in uh, towards the back end of Q1. But that's just a feeling. I mean, I mean, anything's possible in this market. You know, absolutely anything. You know, if you get an, one more supply disruption, you know, you get an earthquake in Chile or you get a, you know, a major strike in Cadelco or something like that, you know, you can see copper at $14,000, $15,000 a ton before you blink. Uh, Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, I'm booking airfare to London for the first week of December. Hopefully, while I'm there, you and I can sit down for a meal or a glass of wine or a pint or something and catch up in person. Would be lovely. Nice talking right. to you, Trevor. Yeah, Cheers. thanks. It's Mark Thompson, everybody. And that's going to wrap up today's market commentary here on Mining Stock Daily. We'll see you again tomorrow morning for the morning briefing. Have a great night. Be well. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak to a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.